Hey gang, welcome to episode 255 of the No Persinium Podcast, the voice of everything immersive. I'm your host, Noah Nelson. This week on the show, we have Unique Trapman O'Brien, the creator of the Telelibrary, which has been one of my favorite experiences during uh, lockdown. Uh, not just not just one of my favorite immersive experiences, one of my favorite experiences during lockdown. It was uh, the, the hour or so I spent in the virtual halls of the Telelibrary uh, were a joy. And uh, I'm very glad that we get to um, uh, share some of that vibe with you today, and uh, that you get to meet uh, you get to meet Unique. Uh, let's go over uh, just a, a couple of quick things, a couple of, of programish notes uh, before we dive into the interview, and then on the other side of the interview, um, I'll do some freeform riffing about uh, you know the the. The, the future for the here summit and festival uh no major announcements today so don't worry don't go like oh what's going to happen there's nothing major just 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 want to want to open up the the vault of my thinking to you um um you know at present so because it's been a minute since i've talked about it and it's not like it's it's not like i'm not thinking about it it's not like i'm not working on it uh, but yeah, let's do a couple of the, the normal housekeeping things. First off, want to check in on the Patreon. Uh, we've got two new backers this week, uh, Adam Kenny and Bruno Macedo. Thank you both so much for joining up. Um, the, the, the Patreon's been a lot more stable than I was worried as we went into this uh, full-blown economic crisis. Um, and that's been really important because, uh, you know, uh, yeah. Hi, uh, we've got 332 backers uh, and just over $2,000 a month right now, which my landlord absolutely loves. So thank you all so much. I will not be getting evicted. Um, not not for some time, I hope. Uh, and yeah, um, seriously, it's it means a lot uh, that everyone's still uh, keeping us moving forward, keeping me alive. Um, yeah, okay, if I think too hard on that, I'm going to get melancholy. Let's not think too hard on that. Let's keep it light. Uh, things are rough enough as they are. Uh, you know, and the people who make this possible week in, week out, uh, the, the the rock upon which this church are built, are our sustaining backers. That would be Mark Baltazar, Jan Budman, Paul F., Lonnie Hanson, Ari Hurston, Sam Kinkin, Samuel Mystery, Sidney Guillory, Jeremy Charles Hahn, Brittany, and Elaine. Thank you all. Seriously, thank you all so much. Um... What's going on? Uh, there's a bunch of stuff. Uh, there's, uh, it was a, a bit of a, a light review week. That's sort of more on me. There was a couple of reviews in the queue that I didn't uh, didn't get edited, but um, one of them just got up today. Um, and that would be Blake's review of Binge, which is a part of the Digital Without Walls Festival. And then uh, we've got one coming in from Shelley in London, um, which uh, once you know she's got a chance to format it, will be up on the site. We're also going to restart everything immersive this week. Um, so spoiler, it'll be on the site. Uh, maybe on the site tomorrow morning. Might be on the site tonight. I haven't decided yet. Depends on how many of those reviews I get up. Um, just wanted to kind of, and, and also thinking about a reformat, like it, it was this big, big link dump. It's still going to have some link dump action to it, but I kind of wanted to, I, I want to try my hand at doing a bit more of contextualizing, contextualizing, 
Um, which means that writing thing, uh, which I, you know, sometimes I like to do <laughs> other times. I'm like, oh, I don't want to, I don't want to, I don't want to touch a keyboard. It's true. There are many times, um, I just don't want to touch a keyboard. Um, I, I saw someone write something this week. Um, and one probably like just like a way faster typist, but I was just like, I was flabbergasted. I was like, how, how, how do you have time to type that much? If I spend that much time typing, uh, I'd be doing nothing else. Um, anyway, uh, that's, that's some freeform thinking for you. So everything immersive this week returns this weekend. Also returning this weekend is web toes, the DuckTales footnotes. Uh, Zay and I have two in the can. We were going to record one this week, uh, but life interfered, uh, and, uh, we'll, I'll have another one coming up. Uh, so we'll release one this weekend, Saturday morning for, uh, 4th of July, Independence Day. Uh, we're gonna, gonna drop one, um, one that's a little, there's a little, there's some darkness in it too. So, um, yeah, uh, it's just gonna drop like an uncheery episode of the DuckTales podcast. Um, and then, uh, we're gonna be moving forward and getting some more of those, uh, cause it's been a, a grand tonic on life. Uh, next week's episode of the podcast is already in the can, which is great. It'll be coming out on Thursday. Uh, because my Friday is going to be, uh, really crazy busy. Um, uh, and sadly not in a fun way. I don't want to get into it. Um, but we're going to be, uh, squaring everything off. So, uh, you know, Thursday will be when that is, and you know, might very well, yeah, this week, next week might also come out on the Thursday. Just got to tidy a few things up. I will not be so much available, uh, next weekend. Don't worry. Uh, nothing with me, just with, uh, just some family stuff going on, uh, that I, I must have my undivided attention on. Okay. Um, <laughs> we try, man, we try. Let's return to joy. Let's return to the tele-library. And, uh, you know what? Let's just get this started. Welcome to the Telelibrary. Please state your name. Noah. Okay, I already knew that, but I have been instructed it remains polite to ask. What would you like to be called today? Mr. Nelson. Okay, Mr. Nelson. What would you like to call me? Nexus. Okay, my name is Nexus. How can I help you today, Mr. Nelson? Nexus, could you tell me what the telelibrary is? The Telelibrary is an interactive literary telephone adventure for an audience the size of the other end of a phone call. Does that answer your question? Mostly. One more little thing. What kind of things might the people on the other end of the phone call experience in the Telelibrary? The Telelibrary uses cutting-edge telephonic technology to provide you with adventure, entertainment, and edification from the comfort and social distance of your own home. This catalog involves a constantly changing set of selections. Does that answer your question?
Or would you like me to continue giving you 80% of the information you require while providing 20% vagary and uncertainty? Hmm. Um, I'm good. Can I talk to Unique? Sure. Just give me one moment and I'll go ahead and transfer you to the creator of the telelibrary. Announcement 10, switch 3, 2, 8, dash 3. Please hold while your call is transferred to an external operator. Hello? Hey, how's it going? <laughs> <laughs> I could not keep a straight face or stop from laughing. Um, I, do you know the advantage of telephone theater is nobody can hear you laugh and nobody can see you cry. <laughs> it's very true. Uh, Unique, thank you so much for indulging my uh, sense of humor and hopefully indulging the audience who hasn't um, had a chance to experience the library yet. Uh, how did this, how did this project uh, come about? Cause this has been one of the, one of the delights, <laughs> few, few delights uh, of, of this current era has, uh, has been what you've got going on here. So yeah, t tell us, tell us the, the origin story of the Tello Library, if you could. Yeah, it's, it is, it is in a lot of ways, uh, very much born of the current era, or at least the, the larger moment that we find ourselves contained in that seems to just have an endless number of doors filled with horrors and uh, major reckonings. Um, oh, yeah. So I I began, I was actually going to visit family in the Netherlands. It was a, a trip that had been in the works for a very, very long time. Um, a family hold was, home was being sold. My sister and I were going to try and visit. And I was on a layover attempting to get into the EU when the travel advisories were announced suddenly without any warning. And I found myself essentially stuck in the United Kingdom for five days, um, you know, and I was calling the embassies, I was calling the airlines, I spent, I, I've run the math, and I think it was about 18 hours on hold collectively. Um, no one had answers. It was just me and these systems uh, talking to each other forever and ever. And um, the whole time I was thinking about how to get home, but also the whole time I was just being helped by an enormous amount of, of friends and, and loved ones abroad. And so um, I, I think there was this early idea beyond the, the artist asking, what art do you make in this moment? How do you be, uh, how do you respond to and, and react to the times and reflect them? Um, I, I think it, for me, it actually started with this idea of like, okay, well, when I get home, I'm going to be so helpful. Um, <laughs> Which of course is a, is a much more difficult and complicated proposition than uh, what comes into one's head at five a.m. huddled, cradling a phone, uh, trying to contact an airline. Um, but I did get home, and I uh, found myself. On the one hand, I, I think you know I, I saw a lot of theater makers uh, trying to adapt work very quickly. Um, a lot of theaters, theater makers trying things. And I saw a lot of work that I thought, 
you know, I don't know if we need this. And, and at one point I watched about four hours of YouTube straight in a row. Um, and on the one hand, I felt like, okay, well, I don't need to make any, there's so much content, right? Like there's people can entertain themselves forever. But on the other hand, I also felt like I had just eaten like six bags of potato chips and I felt very unwell. Mm. And I noticed that I was like, man, I'm just consuming, consuming media. And uh, it's like I'm missing a vegetable, which is not to put a value evaluation, but rather just to, to kind of reflect on the ways that the different things that we take in uh, call upon our bodies to do different things. And yeah. so... I, I sort of just asked myself, like, what would, a, what would a vegetable be like? Like, how could I make something that would, I think one of the early questions was like, can I just break up this? You know, can I be the kimchi next to dumplings that, that helps you eat more greasy food? Um, <laughs> and then I, I had still this idea of wanting to, to do something um, for friends and loved ones. And so... I had talked with a couple of people about saying like, I would love to read to people. Um, and I had a taker and as is my tendency, I was like, well, but how could I make this needlessly complicated? And I, I just sort of set up this almost Russian roulette style format for them. Uh, and it just so happened that the first person I called was uh, a former classmate and colleague who uh, was working on their dissertation uh, their PhD thesis in Spain. They were stuck there away from their family. And they, we did the call. And of course, I'm kind of making things up as I go. But they really quickly were more interested in the system necessarily than just the selections. And they, uh, at the end of it, uh, said, you know, it, it kind of reminded me of like a neural network. It felt like you were learning and adapting as we went. Mm. And I just, it was such a cool idea. Uh, and it was so much better than my ideas. <laughs> and in general, I, I like it when a creative process results in at least a 70-30, if not 60-40 split, where what's happening is 60 to 70% me and 30 to 40% an audience. Um, if There's a lot of reasons for that, but if for no other reason, I'm not interesting enough to hold my own attention for that long. And so if I can make a space where somebody is making with me where we're co-authoring then uh i'm down and i'm more down and i'm always interested in asking what kind of exchanges we can build and uh there was something about you know this person mentioning a neural network um th there was something about this intersection of like technology and intimacy and the action you know being read to is is very uh intimate and human and yet we have all these mediating technologies and so clearly as you can hear there was a whole mess of things that i didn't uh have a grasp on and because of the moment because of um you know the, the change i had this opportunity that i don't normally have to say well why don't i figure this out by iterating and so that was the first of maybe 10 or 12 kind of closed alpha beta calls with friends. Um, and really quickly, people just started uh, changing the system. People started uh, bending it and shaping it and, and making demands of it. And I found it just so interesting to do. And it, uh, I was checking in with people and they were having a very strong response. And it, it seemed like 
uh, an interesting and useful thing. And so I said, okay, well, let me, let me uh, follow this and see where it goes. And I started, uh, I, I kind of quickly built a website. I uh, set up some protections and systems so that I didn't have to use my own phone number, really basic stuff. And I dropped in and I did the official call number one on the 23rd of March, which, as we all know, was uh, about 200 years ago. Yeah, before <laughs> everything. Well, and, and how much has the the character, the mythology, because that's the interesting thing about the library, is like, as everyone heard at the start, you know, this is a system that, you know, it doesn't have a name, so its identity sort of relies in, in a very immediate way on whoever it's talking to, whoever you're talking yeah. to. Yeah. And I, and I'd love to explore that idea around your your seventy thirty split. Um, you know, your your the notion you had of like you know I'm not interesting enough to like keep myself entertained. I want to I want to I want to roll back to that because I think that says a lot about uh, improvisation and about people's. Uh, issues with improvisation, which has been on my mind uh, lately because of something I read. But um, how much has has the, the 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 structure, the mythology evolved over the course and and, and remained sort of persistent uh, because of the the iterations you've been doing, or 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 do you sort of have like a a kind of a a core now that you rely upon. Do you, do you, do you envision us as a sort of sprawling, ever evolving, you know, virtual Alexandria or, or is, <laughs> or is this a, a curio cabinet, uh, uh, you know, utility belt that, that you are able to wrap around yourself and, and, and play with someone with? Ah, yeah. It's so funny because the answer to all of those either ors, uh, is yes. And, and I don't just say that to be an, an annoying. Like on the one no, hand, no. Uh, it really it. is this this sprawling thing, um, and I, I'm uh, so into the idea of it as an Alexandria. Whatever happened to that library? Hope it ended well. Um, but <laughs> on the other hand, literally, like there is a tool. Like I, when I said I had to get myself strapped in at the start of this call, it's because there is uh, a setup that has emerged, and I have all these tools and things, and you know, I've I've played with having it all upon my person and things got a little too Dick Van Dyke. Um, <laughs> but uh, it, it really is this like accumulated thing. So the answer to all of that is, is yes. I, I, I think when I look back on how did it emerge, I think one of the funny things, and again, something where I um, acknowledge how this shaped the process, but also it, it gives me work to do. And, and, and it, it gives me a lot of questions as an artist to answer is because uh, kind of part of the missing context of this is that, you know, I, I work in interactive and immersive experiences and theater. And uh, I'll, at the beginning, the idea was, oh, let me start figuring some things out so that when I figure out what I want to be doing in this moment, I've already learned some, right? Um, and so early on, all of my considerations were really about like the audience experience, trying to solve basic problems. I mean, one of the biggest problems of someone reading to you in, in any setup, I think, and particularly in this one, is uh, getting over the hurdle of how do I really make someone believe that they can say, oh, no, yeah, this is, this is boring. Can you do another one? Like that's mm. supposed to be 
the whole joy of it. But how do I, because we're, we're trained to behave so well. Um, and it, it, you know, part of the character or part of the opportunity of the character of the system, rather than it being the artist who's reading to you or you're interacting with, is that people are willing to treat a system differently. Um, but so much of that early opening, like the first five minutes, I don't know if I've ever revised something as much as the first five minutes. And, and I have friends who can attest to how many times they had to have me, I would say, okay, okay, can you just call me real quick? And I would like <laughs> give them the first three jokes and be like, did that work? But, but it was because truly I found that I, you know, on the one hand, it's so exciting to have um, something that so many people recognize and have uh, uh, fast forming expectations for the phone tree as a system. But on the other hand, it's one of the most hated methodologies known to man. And so True. early on, I found that some users, including uh, collaborators that I dearly love and respect, you know, I'd ask them to do it and they'd hang up after five minutes and they'd say, I don't know why anyone would choose to deliver anything in that form. I hated mm. every part of that. Right. And it was, it, it was asking, okay, so how do I really, the system started to emerge from uh, this kind of almost impression of a phone system or me trying to perform it and then me trying to um, immediately uh, make it different enough that you understood something was going on. And, and I think one of the key phrases, which again was just me trying to solve the problem of how do I get people to know that they're allowed to play and allowed to perch, uh, is I came up with this piece of language to repeat uh, which users will recognize, which is this system is here for you to use as you like. And uh, that gets stated a lot. It's the sort of um, uh, punctuation on a lot of commands or inputs. And it's it's meant to guide you in that moment. But it's also, uh, there are a couple things that get repeated over and over in the piece that are meant to to prime you and meant to kind of prompt uh this gradual discovery of what you can and can't do. Because uh, the truth is there's so much you can do and I really have no idea. And I would say in almost every call, I spend at least a little bit of time over the edge of what I know how to do. Uh, and that's that's exciting to me. And I think it goes to the point of what is the content that I can offer in this moment or what is the content that I wanna make in this moment? And it's, uh, wanting as an audience member wanting to have that engagement with something that is um not just live but uh kind of live in the way we all uh liked to pat ourselves on the back for when we were doing high school theater or when, when we were doing freshman college theater of, of like it's live it's dangerous um but truly just i think anyone who makes interactive theater knows that there's a different part of you as an audience member that gets activated when you are invited to be present, not just witnessing, but actually to, to be there and, and to be a presence in the piece. Yeah, I think that's one of the critical things on this this idea of you know, how much is it the performer, how much of it is the participant, that 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 knife's edge of, of presence. I was, I was reading a, a theme park blog person um, uh, I, I like th th there was a thing about you know the, the they're redoing Splash Mountain they're they're taking mm -hmm. away from you know Song of the South 
thank God, mm-hmm. uh, doing Princess of the Frog. But then like and I read a piece this person did. It was a really good piece. And I was like, oh, what else have they written? Went back one. And then like in the very one right before it, I found them like disparaging immersive theater. And I was like, oh, I liked you so much for five seconds. <laughs> and, and they were complaining about like the old Adventurers Club at um, – at Walt Disney World, which I never gotten to go to, but it's often been hailed as something. And they were basically they were they were railing on on improv and about how torturous improv can be. And I and I sat back as I read it because you know I've seen a lot of improv. I've been in improv troops, and I wouldn't disagree that improv uh, can be torturous. I've seen yes. far more bad improv than good improv. Also, yes, I've I've also though I was trained in a tradition and have been lucky enough to be around a tradition of improvisation that doesn't put the emphasis on people being clever for clever's sake and people performing and indeed like the stuff that i've always found most interesting is all the things that are, are meant to sort of break the performer of that look at me i gotta be in the spotlight um and thinking about you know i read that and i was like oh this poor person's never seen andy daly you know, like at a UCB show or this poor person's never been in a, in a Johnstonian improv class. And this, this idea of the, the, the way you put it, you know, you know, you know, needing, wanting the other person, this is a paraphrase of what you said, wanting the other person there because you're not going to, you're not entertaining enough by yourself. You know, like you could not amuse yourself to no end. There's no real, I mean, at, at the end of the day, that's the actual truth. There's no real reason to do improv if there isn't, you know, somebody else there with you because you're you're hoping not just to entertain, but to be entertained and to find something in yourself that you didn't know was there. And most bad improv is someone just driving a scene, showing off, pulling a routine because they think that's, you know, what's what's to be gotten out of is look how clever I am. Yeah. Um, and and well, there's, there's there's oh go for it please. Oh, I, if I can jump in, I, I think it's interesting because uh, you know I in I, I'm a little bit tongue in cheek when I, I do the seventy thirty, but I, I think it's also I say it because I think it's really important as an artist to um, kind of wear on my sleeve like what's in it for me like what am I getting out of this and what am mm-hmm. I offering in exchange right and I think. Um, when I say, you know, I can't hold my own attention, part of it is that um, I've, I have a, a really long-standing interest with ideas of creative research and, and generating creative data and with forming, um, literally, like I've, I've done a lot of work that amounts to cutting deals with people in public spaces uh, where I, I offer them something in exchange for them um, sitting for an interview or telling a story or sharing content. And I, I think it is from a creator's standpoint about like, if you are curious about other people, which I am always, uh, and you, you want to uh, kind of roam around in the, in the house of, of, of their minds and their hearts a bit, um, shaping an exchange where that feels not only uh, safe and consensual, but also uh, interesting and entertaining for them, where, where they get to do that by bringing themselves into a space and expanding themselves to fill it and then finding out about themselves. Um, then we're both in that moment of discovery, right? Um, and then I think it's also about, in a really mercenary way, uh, just that 
the stories that someone tells alongside the system are so much more satisfying, I think, than the stories that the system alone can tell them. And it may not be that they are, like you said, it, it's not always about it being the cleverest or the funniest or the sharpest. I, I have an aesthetic that's very, um, I like things that are, are tight and synchronized and, and sharp. But at the end of the day, the allowing people to create their own meaning means they will make content that is more meaningful to them than anything that I can put out prefabricated. Mm. And so then, you know, when I say that I'm not interesting enough to hold my own attention, it's, it's also about uh, finding something that I, I really hope, and, and I've heard from some users, but, you know, I'm constantly asking myself, are people capable of charting their own journey through this experience, right? Am I actually providing them with that? And I, I have to, you know, in a weird way, coming back to that question before of like, is it constantly evolving? Is it a preset kit? Um, you, you fall into habits and patterns. Uh, and I keep a lot of data from the piece, from doing it, trying to just check myself and say, mm, is that pattern emerging from the participants or is that pattern emerging from the only constant there is, which is me and my setup. And the piece is very structured and I have this crazy mess of notes to myself and, and graphs that I've done that are around my workspace and on my microphone stand. You can see it in, in the goodbye photo. Um, and it's it's about trying to, to build this structure where I've uh, externalized enough of that, that now we're both playing and playing together. That like people, people will uh, try and figure out if they can do something. And like very honestly, I'm responding like, I don't know, we'll find out. <laughs> How did you wind up being the one to make this? I guess I'm asking the, you know, who are you? Like you mentioned, you, you've got, you've had a practice and you work in immersive experiential you know, before, yeah. beyond this. So um, what, what road led you creatively to this moment? Yeah. Um, I mean, uh, obviously an enormous amount of, of privilege and opportunity first and foremost. Um, I think, uh, and a, and a very smart cohort so that when I have an idea and start banging it around the first couple walls that are gracious enough to let me bounce it off are, uh, just ringing with great ideas. Um, and then I think, uh, you know, uh, talking about having a background in this kind of creative research work, um, just, I, I actually was just writing a letter about one of my instructors who so informed my practice and, and thinking about those tools and, and the ways that uh, my education and my work experience really form how I approach a creative problem, especially when I'm doing it on my own. Because um, then it, it sort of lets me indulge in all my most annoying habits. Um, the spreadsheets, I, I wish you could see them, but they're, they're glorious and terrifying. Um, and so I think, yeah, it's, it's actually, it's a hard question to answer. And I'll tell you that one of the most surprising 
uh, and surprisingly touching things about doing this piece is that um, it's it's a very established character and it the character continues to grow and, and be formed by the users. And at the same time, it feels... Um, I rarely feel like I'm so many parts of myself as once as at once as when I'm doing this piece. It, it feels like, uh, you know, and, and maybe this is just what happens when you make theater on your own, uh, laying books out on your bed and then eventually moving them to a table so that your life will stop falling apart. Um, but it, it really is so much drawn from me and and my tastes uh and and all the the dots connect backwards pieces of my background so it, it's sort of a story that i think we both already know at this point in the interview that i would tell if you let me but that neither of us want to sit for the duration of me saying all the ways that it came to this um yeah I, you know it's 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 really it's something that i just I don't know if people can tell, but I'm uh, beaming and weeping and laughing maniacally while trying to staffle myself doing it because it's uh, it's a real joy. And, and in those ways, it's such an indulgence of what I'd like to be doing, which is reading incredible uh, selections and talking to people about really interesting questions and themes uh, and accumulating all this really strange wonderful data um and so you know again like that's what i think that's part of what makes me pour myself into the work of the structure and the shape and is it sound because i i uh it's the old trope that like you're nothing without the audience but when it's a one person an audience of one or two people i it's 100 percent true and and it really is about like Okay, how how am I crafting an experience that is technically um, delivering for people, as well as serving as a good container for the meaning that they're going to create and that users have created? Because the other thing that came as a total surprise was that users Im almost immediately started smashing the boundary of their own time limit and trying to communicate with each other. Mm. And now, now we're deep in the spoilers, so I, I guess to preface this all by saying, if you haven't done it yet, um, please, please do it. <laughs> I think it's, it's so much more, if, if I could uh, elevator pitch it again, I'd say that moment when you're walking down the street and there's a bookstore with dollar books on a shelf that you know no one's checking because these books could walk off into the night and who would notice, and you're paging through and you just encounter something so simultaneously strange and delightful and you have that thought of like, what are the odds of me picking up this book if I could stretch that moment to be 45 to 50 minutes long and to constantly get bigger and bigger and bigger. That's kind of the goal of the piece. Right. And so uh, I, I ask a lot of people to come in blind and, and there's a, uh, a little bit um, tongue in cheek kind of no further details will be provided uh, that goes into the official language of it. But it's because I, I really think that it's a, if people are, it's part of the exchange, right? If you're willing to step without knowing where you're going, my promise is, I promise you there'll be something to catch each footfall. And I promise you'll go places you didn't expect. Yeah, I, I didn't entirely know what I was going to encounter 
when I mean, but that's that's not an unusual, you know, state of being for, you know, my chosen path, right? Like, yeah, there's, there's definitely, yeah, there's there's a lot of the fool to what I do. It's like, oh, there's here's a cliff. Great, uh, can we dive off this thing? What do you mean? Why am I bothering to ask? I've already started to dive. Um, right, but um, what one of the things that struck me was that it's there's a controlled dive like it it feels it feels like there's a lot of structure uh and and at the very beginning of it it's almost like oh is is this is this all there is but then you start to crack it open and you start to realize you can go off road and that there might be way more going on than than you thought um and at least my in my experience of it you did such a good job of controlling that information right like you're inviting people to play but you kind of like you take them around you show them like here's here are all the toys in this sandbox you know right. this is the kind of thing we're doing uh and and not really asking the person because one of the problems I, I have in immersive sometimes, particularly a, a sandbox type piece, or even something that isn't technically a sandbox but has a bit of that vibe, is you'll come through, you'll check it out, and then you you won't feel like you got a lot out of it. And the feedback from the creators will be like, well, you you didn't you didn't put a lot into it. Hmm. And I'm like, look, I've read, you know empty space like i i know my people <laughs> you know like but like that's it's not my job to like walk into a black box theater and make a show with you <laughs> like right. only one of us is being paid here not that yeah. much most of the time but no i, I so i so yeah. completely sympathize because it's it's like uh people who bring you to the party but they don't invite you to the party that you're going to mm. and so, again, like i i try really hard the structure and the control of information um, on the one hand, it's, I'm, I'm a huge believer that like, we, we just got in, you got to invite someone to the party they're attending so that they don't I, show I, up at a costume party without a costume. I love that. Oh man. It makes, it makes me think of like, yeah, the number of times, well, and even just the idea of like, you know, like, oh, I'm going to invite these people to the party, but like so few people are good hosts. I'm just going to that out here right now. Even some people who are very, very good at making their themes for their theme parties, maybe they're good at cooking, but like the, the art of hosting where you're, you know, that, that moment like in a, in like a, a show about like, you know, a wedding planner or, or something or like the, the ridiculousness of like, we're going to have, let's figure out the seating arrangement here. Like no one does seating arrangements yeah. anymore. If they do seating arrangements, it's very, because they're very, very, very posh. But like there is a genius to that. And that's about putting people in in relationship to each other. Um, and there's all kinds of reasons you might do it. I'm, I'm, I was watching per the new Perry Mason show last night. And like there's a moment where they're like arranging a seating chart. But that's all about like, you know, in that moment it was all about like, oh, where are we going to put the powerful people? So they look good right. on, you know, television. Well, in, in the photos for the paper because it was like 1923 or something. Like there wasn't television. Um, pointedly, it was, a, you know, we're setting up seating for radio um but like uh this this idea of 
how how do you how do you build these cohorts and how do you shape people to a space this is like the heart of this discipline and you know so many times it can it's okay if at the heart of what someone's doing is I'm thinking of a number between one and 10. What number am I thinking of? And like, that's the heart of the interaction. Like, can you guess what's in my brain? But there's a way to do that without doing that boldly. And it's actually, Yeah. yeah, you know, yeah, it's partner dancing in a weird way, right? Like the best oh, partner totally dancer for a strong lead, but the person feels like they have their own voice and they look great. Um, I, you know, it's so funny, but like formative experience, I must be like six. I'm at a magic show. I'm in Topanga Canyon, California. We're in this uh, outdoor stage and there's a clown and he's doing a bit where the audience member needs to cut the rope. And he has, he has me, pulls the, the cute kid from the front row, cute kids not interested so they pull me instead uh and they they uh the idea is like okay now i'm gonna pull the rope out and you cut it and it's trick scissors so as i'm trying to do it they won't close and he keeps doing it and i just uh wasn't that bright as a kid but man did i look stupid and i never forgot it and i never forgave them right and and it's, it's this thing i i think for me, interactive theater, whatever you're doing when you're in the interactive medium, it's most exciting when it's shaped like a hallway. And as an audience member, I can go as far as I feel comfortable. Yep. And however far I go is okay. Is, is not just okay, is a valid experience, right? I, there's a thing that I found myself saying over and over in making this, which is um, I have to, I, I cannot offer anyone a choice that I would not welcome them to make. So every, every uh, possible journey that I give people through this that I'm offering them, I have to stand by it. Because if I don't, then why am I offering it? Why am I saying like, oh, yeah, give yourself, here's a, a really crappy thing you could do to yourself. It would be no fun. Um, it used to be that when you ran out of credits, it ended. The call would just stop. Um, but what I found was that there wasn't enough time to really build your fluency in the world. And so people were having a, a bad experience and it wasn't informing the piece. It wasn't bettering their experience. It just sucked. So I, you know, again, like iterate and change, but if coming back to this hallway, if, if a piece is, is made so that as far as I'm willing to go, the performer and seemingly the world will keep pace with me as if that was exactly where I was meant to be. It, I find it as an audience member so fulfilling, so comforting, so affirming, and uh, it it invites me rather than forcing me or coercing me or shaming me. It invites me to be braver, to be a little bigger, to go to that door that I don't normally open, um, and and that work of the seating arrangement, the color of the rug, the way the doorknob feels in your hand. It's that attention that is you uh, crafting that acceptance and that care and that sense of safety into the experience so that a person doesn't have to think about it. And, and I think especially in telephone theater, it, there's this work of establishing the scale. And, and part of it is the piece is structured to set the scale really small so that then these tiny changes feel meaningful. There are these moments that I always really enjoy where because someone has, you know, performed the three actions that trigger this event, um, 
something opens. And it, it is almost always this moment of, oh, right? And it's, it's such a small thing, but we, if we can set and agree upon the scale, and then as much as I can, if I'm on it, from the moment that you understand the shape of the world, it just keeps changing. And all the staircases are Harry Potter moving and moving. It's just changing fast enough to give you, I hope, you know, ideally it would be 50 minutes of just unrelenting discovery and wonder. <laughs> I would hope that on a good day, I'm hitting a good, like, uh, maybe 20, 35. And then in the moments that it's not unrelenting discovery and wonder, you're settling into something else. Cause it's also a piece that has the luxury of containing all different tones and flavors and emotional beats um, in ways that users can guide very pointedly or can sit back and say, I want to, I want to be totally surprised. What do you think is the, the thing you've learned about the form of immersive and interactive by doing this piece that, that you might not have gotten to learn otherwise. Yeah. Um, I think this, I mean, there's been so many lessons uh, that are kind of constant. It's funny because people are like, wow, now you're in week like 13, 14. It must be nice that you've kind of got it figured. And I'm like, no, I feel like I'm just spending every week trying to keep up with users. But I, I think the, the thing I, I truly did not expect and that continues to surprise me is the way that... Um, the way that the piece creates connections with and interactions between users uh, through time and who are, who in my mind were separate, right? Mm -hmm. I, I thought of it as, and my spreadsheets reflect this idea of it as a series of iterative uh, experiences. Each person has their own metadata. Each person has their own experience, but, um, the way that people used it as a technology to connect to each other, which I, I think fundamentally books are uh, a technology of understanding other people and, and experiencing the world through their eyes. And, and, you know, part of the premise of the piece is that if you travel far enough into books, you will find yourself and then eventually you'll find everybody else. Um, and, and the way that the users did that was really exciting and really, um, I think, still kicks around, you know, how can I not just think about how audiences will interact with each other in the duration of a piece when they ha share a space, but if they share a common authorship, even if it's 30% and with no residuals, um, <laughs> if, they, if they share a common uh, voice in the piece, how can they speak through time to the next audience and the next audience and, and how can they really, you know, what is it like when, when you let people um, cultivate a community garden? I think the critical thing is, you know, that even though this lives as spreadsheets and a performance that you perform, it's all in service of making a place and you've carved out space. Like I, I think of some of the stuff you do, it's like, you know, like the, the user aspect, there's a bit of a, you know, graffito to it. Like you can make your mark. 
and like leave a little breadcrumb for someone else to find just that sense that someone else was here yeah and that's something that's probably like the most compelling thing about any shared virtual space is the sense that someone was here before right that people not just person but people shaped the space we're in i mean one of my favorite things you know um, thinking about like design and like watching some of those like document i can't remember the name of the documentarian but he's a guy who did helvetica and he did a couple others uh all about and there's one that's a lot about spaces and just about sort of the 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 design language of cities and and how it 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 shapes our cultures but then also how our cultures shape the city is like there's a relationship back and forth between and like the subtle things it's doing to people in terms of shaping their behavior, but then the, the things that we do back. And like, I mean, like right now, some of those impulses are, you know, in, in the unfolding crises are, are so obvious, right? Like how much power we really do have over the structures of our shared reality are, are very, obvious if if you're willing to look and i think one of the things that this branch of art in its many forms does is make you sensitive to that reality and i find it very interesting that even without a physical plant and even without even uh, you know a digital visual that just through words and interaction and a persistence of memory a virtual space can be created um yeah and that, that has a, a lot of resonance and, and richness to it well and it, it's funny because it makes me think of um cairns you know which is which is mm-hmm. such an ancient and, and human thing and, and has many many names i'm sure yeah. um but a friend introduced karen not not karen's like the the women screaming at you because you're wearing a mask and she's not but like no though but... i think we can i think we can recognize that they too are ancient uh, yes they are perhaps is set in stone um yeah. but this, but, this, this but, is the different this is the other this is the earlier karen but, but all things perhaps are molded and made smooth by the passage of time and wind um yeah. no i i think uh, you know this this these traditions of just stacking rocks in a simple shape. And the fundamental message just me being people were here. Yeah. And I think, uh, you know, a big thing for me that, that has been, uh, I, I really had to look hard at the project and continue to look hard at the project because in the initial shared moment, um, however much a moment is shared, obviously this, this huge discrepancy of how it's experienced, but this pandemic, um, uh, you know, isolation and connection were these really tangible things. And it was a very raw nerve. And I had a lot of people um, really open, painful, difficult spaces. Uh, and and I had uh, prompts for the conversations that, that were very uh, tricky, but that I, I knew, I believed, and of course that's like, there's the thing I learned and then there's the thing that's been the most challenging. And the thing that's the most challenging is as a performer, all of your data, you're so used to having so much physical data from a, an audience member and not having it is very nerve wracking. 
um, on the surface level because it's like, am I good? Do they like it? Is this working? Is this working? Is this working? I can't tell. I don't, I can't hear them unless they speak and I'm speaking a lot of the time, but also like, are they okay? Can I, how can I take care of you if I can't see you? And it's such a, a new exercise. It, it's just a, a, a deeper and deeper trust fall. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I think knowing that I'd made a space where people would feel safe to go those places and then having to ask, you know, what, what is the, what, like, what's at the forefront of people's minds? And, and I can't know that, but I, I can, through the work and through the structure and through the shape, try and take the general temperature call over call and ask, how can I shape the structure? Um, and of course, you know, there's the, the library, which is a place, but there's also the system. Right. And I, I do think that there's something really interesting in the, the study of how people behave when there's a learning entity present. Like hmm. the, the other thing that the system says over and over, uh, uh, thanks, I'm learning a lot today. Right. It's, it's, it's programmed, for want of a better term. Um, all my friends who do computer science uh, who are already rolling in their lives are, are I'm sure, I hope will send me messages saying that I sound like an idiot. But um, from my approximate knowledge of computers, I, I've, I've given myself these instructions uh, to want to learn more in order to improve the user experience and to identify complex topics and, and try and understand them, um, which is both a bit and a game, but also a, a way of kind of dancing someone backwards into conversations, uh, allowing people to be wise. Everyone is wise with a system that doesn't know how a joke works. Yeah. Um, and allowing them to, to explain things as a way of, of looking at them again. And I just, I don't know, I, I have to tell you that I, I, I mean, one of the, I would say one of the things that I would criticize looking at this piece is I'd say, uh, what are your user guidelines? What are your rules? How are you keeping users safe from other users? And it's something that I've got drafts in place, um, but those have not been tested and iterated as much because people treat each other and especially the system with enormous compassion. Well, there's something uh, childlike about the system. Yes, and, and there's And there's a relationship that the majority of people will enter into with a, with a childlike entity. And, well, and that's why you it, name it, right? Yeah. Yeah. Of course. Yeah. Did not occur to me to this moment, but like totally like, like the, there's, there's that responsibility, you know, you have a responsibility, you've named this thing, you have a responsibility towards it with the other side of like, when you're dealing with a child and when you're, when you're teaching, is that you're able you're you're given the excuse to re-examine something you took to be read and true and it yeah. puts you back into that relationship in a way that in a way that arguing with someone about it does not right when you suddenly have to teach something to someone it's almost like automatically you go like um is this really is this really the thing is this really how this goes you know yeah. i suppose there are some people yeah. for whom like that doesn't occur to them, but every time with me, every time I would teach like a new kid Shakespeare or something or, or whatever I was, whatever task I was, you know, imparting, um, 
that that moment of doubt is really the way. Yeah. You know? Shout out, shout out to all the parents out there who are constantly engaged in the unbelievable task of, of hurling new and better humans at the future. Um, shout out to the, to, I mean, I, I love you, mama. I love you, papa. You, you did, uh, you did your best considering what you were working with. Um, but you were really, really good at it. Uh, no, it's, I, I think there's a moment that, um, floored, there's a lot of moments that floor me, honestly, I'm, I'm mostly a mess most days, but, um, I remember once a user was really, really struck by uh, one of the early moments in which the world opens up and, and you start to, to see each other, for want of a better term, or, or hear each other. You, you start to kind of feel the presence of others, um, was very overwhelmed and, and was crying. And I, uh, the, the system did not know what to do, had not encountered it before, did not have a script for it and tried to use some of the pre-existing structures and features essentially to give them some breathing room. And I remember they cut the system off and they said, no, no, it's important for you to hear this. It's important for you to learn this. Um, and, and we're sobbing, but we're saying like, this is okay. Like, it's okay when this happens, you have to know that like people need to cry sometimes. And it's, it's, uh, on the one hand, it's, it's so simple, but it is like, you, you just rediscover these small profundities over and over and over. And, and it's constantly moving. Um, there's a, there's a, I'm sure I'm stealing this from someone, but there's this idea that like, there's really only two moments that you like know and embody a piece of wisdom. And that's the first time that it's told to you. And every time that you try and tell it to someone else that like in that <laughs> moment, totally getting you're like yeah penny saved is a penny or wow yeah and then like from the moment the words exit your lips you've stopped embodying that your life is falling apart again but like in that moment everything makes sense or it doesn't and you question everything um yeah and there's i mean again it is there's just uh with with that 30 to 40 percent it, it goes in all kinds of places and i i desperately try and keep up um, and it, it gives me a lot of thought and it, it, uh, subtracts a lot of sleep sometimes, but it's, it, it means that here I am still doing it and, uh, am, am just as blown away by what people do with it. Well, we're, we're all the better for the fact that you're still these 13 or however many infinite weeks later. That you yeah, we're, we're on, I, uh, this is why you keep spreadsheet. We're on call number two. 207 call number 208 going to happen in a hot second. Um, um, for those who want to maybe have a call of their own one day, how do they track you down? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so what you do is you go to the telelibrary website, which uh, I'm, I'm sure will be linked somewhere, but as someone who never manages to find links, uh, you can go to uniqueto.com slash telelibrary. Um, or you can just, I think you can Google telelibrary. Um, someone bought the, the website out from under me as soon as I started the piece. But oh, other no. than that, oh, no, it was, I mean, what a better, what, what better compliment than someone trying to extort you uh, with the idea <laughs> that your idea is worth money. Um, but I, uh, yeah, you, you can go to the website. Uh, you can scroll down. There will be open hours 
they will likely be booked. Uh, and that is because we do have a wait list. I, I say we, which is a crazy um, old <laughs> reflex. I, it's that creative thing of like, oh, I am doing this small, helpless, feeble. We are doing this mighty, powerful, official authority, right? <laughs> uh, uh, but but despite how much I, I've been familiar with that process, so <laughs> <laughs> but it's I, so there's a wait list. Um, the way the wait list works is when you sign up for the wait list, you get notified before the general public when ours uh, get posted, and there's enough interest on the wait list that uh, ours pretty much never go public anymore. Um, but when you when you put your name on there, everyone on that waitlist has a fair shot. Uh, and I try and post new hours at different times in the week, at different times of the day. I've had callers uh, now from all over the world um, in all different time zones. And so I, insofar as I can, I, I try and shake it up so that it's not always the same pool of people. Um, obviously, could be doing a better job on that. But uh, C++ is not just a programming language. It's a way of life. <laughs> well, Unique, I'm so glad I got a chance to talk to you today, um, and uh, I'm I'm looking forward to you know maybe touching base again when you're on like call 500, um, <laughs> if if, if I, you decide I, to persist that long. <laughs> yeah, by which point I'm sure the system will be uh, speaking in constant pentameter and Spanish, and you know will will be unrecognizable. Um, no, thank you. Thank you for taking the time. I, I have to say that such a, uh, among the many pleasures that, that come from doing this is, uh, the way that I've been able to connect to so many different makers around the country. I think all of us have suddenly found our network expanded, um, by merit of trying to, to access and steal each other's audiences. And, and, and suddenly we're all going to each other's shows, uh, and, and no percentage has been such a, a big part in in getting to have these conversations with people all over the country and in fact around the world so it is uh super exciting and can't wait to see you come back to the library someday Once again, I want to thank Unique Trapman O'Brien for being our guest on the show. Guests, I said guests. He also performed one of the guests. So there you go. Uh, you can find the links for the telelibrary in the show notes. Uh, so uh, go ahead and uh, jump online and you'll be able to get there uh, since I know there's a little, little more text involved in that. Um, I promised you uh, a, like a mental update on what's going on with Here's Summit and Festivals. So let's just let's just get into it um we haven't made any formal announcements yet about uh dates for the inaugural uh because our venues are still in freeze uh, obviously look there's no way of about talking about this without talking about the pandemic and uh, as we all saw we just did like our first loop-de-loop and all of a sudden we're back into uh, a deeper stage of lockdown which also means that this is going to go on longer than we expected indeed the very shape of what we're trying to do uh, may have to change radically the way that the very shape of what all of us do has to change radically so nothing there that anyone isn't somebody's mentally prepared for nevertheless uh here's one thing i can tell you with absolute certainty the Sebadin Festival, as envisioned, will not happen in 2020. Straight up. 
those of you who are holding on and have held on to your badges so far, uh, you will be rewarded uh, because we will do at least one more virtual thing before the year is through. We may do something a little bit more elaborate than last time. Um, we may also do something very similar to the weekend that we had. Uh, there's a few more options in terms of platforms, uh, and there's there's some things I want to try out. And it is definitely, as always, a goal to like get the community talking uh, and have some interesting folks in the community to put a spotlight on, you know, at the end of the day on, on the Summit stuff. So we will have something after the summer online. Exactly when? Not going to say it because haven't finished planning that. Haven't walked all the way through. But it's something I know that I want to do. And, and we want to we keep the momentum going. Um, now... I mentioned those of you who have held on to your badges so far. So those, those who, those who jumped out earlier, you know, um, that's, that's, that's for like another time. Um, what we've done, what we've had to do because we have, uh, the deposit is, is still deposited (laughs) on the venue. And there's also some of what we, we lost to the airlines and then, Hi, I was also taking a, a small salary uh, to keep you know myself alive while we were doing what we were doing. Um, that's worked out to between like fifty and a hundred dollars per person's ticket. That has just become non-refundable. Um, what we're gonna do is, unless we're doing the event really right at the top of. 2021, which right now, I don't think we're going to be doing the event right at the top of 2021. If we're doing the event right at the top of 2021, then uh, we won't do a blanket partial refund for everybody. We'll just honor the tickets and and set the dates in motion. Um, It's because of this all the pandemic situation, it's really looking like that's not practical. I want to give the month of July to sort of see how it shakes out. Uh, I'm not betting on that. So since it's unlikely we'll be doing that, what is likely is once we've identified our general range of dates, right, which could very well be, you know, March 2021, um, you know, just basically, hey, we kicked it down for a year. Then just for tax reasons alone, we will execute partial refunds back to everybody. Because what I don't want is I don't want the government getting a piece of that money, which we then cannot use uh, to pay for the things that we need to pay for. All right. So uh, all that going back is just be just an ugly, ugly bind we'd be in. Uh, So we would be issuing the partial refunds based off the math that we already did. Uh, And indeed, one of the reasons why the refunds are partial refunds were set up the way they were was so that we could issue, you know, that amount to everyone who had bought a ticket. If things go the way we want them to, there's a lot of ifs here, we would then, once we put tickets back on sale, for those who, from this point forward, had held on and got a refund, we would do everything we could to make it so that you would only pay your refunded amount to get back. That's the ideal. To do that, we're going to have to raise some other money, et cetera, et cetera. And we might have to raise the price 
on the non-refunded tickets, right? You know, things the, the, the price may go up uh, for everybody else in order to subsidize that. There's also the chance that we may just have to raise the price generally. I don't want to, but there's there's a chance. There's also a chance that maybe like you know, some of the expenses go down, which would be, you know, great. Maybe the airline expenses go down. Maybe the hotel expenses go down, right? You know, uh, in which case we've got some breathing room. But if we have to raise the price, then we would, and this would be the hard line I would, I would not give up on, we would make sure that a discount was applied. So if you had gotten back $50 less, you get a $50 discount. If you got $100 left, you get a $100 discount. That is my worst case scenario, right? That's the thing I, I, I'm not going to be happy if I have to do. Under no circumstances will, well, you should be careful about saying under no circumstances. It is my intent that under no circumstances, because clearly, you know, <laughs> pandemics, dog, uh, that people would, um, people would, you know, not get something for having held out as long as they did. Um, you honor me by trusting me and I want to honor you by, by, by keeping it even, Steven. I, I have this stupid sense of fairness <laughs> almost gets me in trouble. Um, but it also is, is, uh, it's what powers this whole enterprise. So again, thanks everybody for holding out this long. Um, but you know, at this point it's, it's obvious we're not going to be uh, doing stuff in 2020. Uh, but the exact shape of it, the timing really does matter because if it's, like I said, if it's January, if it, you know, and we've done events in January before, if it's January, then, you know, we'll have spent all the money we need to spend and then we're just going to get taxed on it anyway. So, uh, but if it's later then we would have been holding on to some of that money and, uh, you know, it, we would just get hit really hard. Um, it'd be treated as profit when it's not profit. And I just don't want to do that. Uh, speaking of profit and not profit, that's another thing that I'm working on right now. You know, we, part of the thing was we were going to, you know, make a big deal about launching the Institute. Uh, we're working on transforming into actual nonprofit, getting a board together, the whole nine yards, uh, getting some programs, uh, which you know, on one level is amazing. And on another level, it feels just like I'm taking crazy pills because look at the world around us. But, um, I'm not, I'm not an optimist by temperament. I'm not like at all. Um, I'm an optimist by choice. Um, because if I, if I don't choose that, if I don't strive for that, then uh, I just check out completely and I'm, I'm not there yet. There are days, but, but I'm not there yet. And I see, you know, particularly when I look over at, uh, the, the, the reborn civil rights movement in this country. And I think about how we've got a real shot here at a more just and equitable world and about carrying that momentum into issues like climate change, all the things to make a, a more sustainable, freer future for more people here and around the world, and to just be able to dive deeper on, on, on the underlying currents of this art um, 
the, the, the values that power what we do. I, um, I, I do have hope. Uh, vast, there's this vast current of it. Um, the, the day to day, the question is whether or not I can dial in and, and feel that. So, um, and a lot of that comes out of making the choice to do so. So I choose, I choose to be optimistic. I choose to build, um, even, even in the face of the storm. So there you go. Uh, there's, we're in a particularly you know, rough moment in the storm, um, particularly here in Los Angeles. Uh, as, as you know, if you're not in LA, like the case count numbers going up and, and, you know, people were not taking, <laughs> not taking the mask thing seriously enough and we're paying the price and, you know, just the fundamental defense, you know, health defense, you know, became a political thing here in the States, which absolutely ridiculous. That's cost people's lives. It's cost people's livelihoods and it's, you know, really jacked up our industry in, in a deep way. And while I'm, you know, super grateful that folks have resilience and they've pivoted and there's a lot of work happening and people are making stuff online, you know, it's also not necessarily why we all got into this. Um, there's, there's just a lot that, you know, isn't, um, and the, the, parts and points of connection that we've managed to find and forge things like the telelibrary, things like eschaton, uh, things like, like real people do, uh, are <laughs> miracles. <laughs> They're little miracles, uh, that, uh, that, that make it all seem like we're gonna be, we're gonna make it through not unchanged. And I don't want to say that everything's going to be okay. Okay implies, I don't know, a lack of change. There's a chance things are going to be better. So again, I choose optimism. I choose not just to believe, but to see the better tomorrow. I don't always feel it. Like in this moment, I'm kind of halfway between feeling it and not feeling it. But I see it. I see it. I do. And that's what's necessary. And I hope you can see it with me. And I look forward to us getting there together. All right. There you go. There I go. Thank you. Me strapping into this mental cockpit every week and trying to trying to navigate these waters for both of our sakes. Um, that's what keeps me going. So I thank you for that. Let's uh, let's do the closing bit, shall we? Come on, you know how this goes. Our sustaining backers are Mark Baltazar, Jan Budman, Paul F., Lonnie Hansen, Ari Hurston, Sam Kinkin, Samuel Mystery, Sidney Guillory, Jeremy Charles Hahn, Brittany, and Elaine. You can join them at patreon.com slash nopersinium. The music for No Persinium is by Chris Porter of the Speakeasy Society. You can find everything we do 
at nopersinium.com and everythingimmersive.com, which is in beta right now. And if you're a creator, that's how you get listings on the newswire. You can also connect with us on Slack. You can connect with us at the Everything Immersive group on Facebook. We're on Twitter at No Persinium. And for those of you who are backers of the show or badge holders for here, uh, the here Discord does still exist, and we will be doing some fun stuff with it uh, in the weeks to come, uh, particularly once I get through this next week, which uh, is the not fun week. All right. Until next time, I'm Noah Nelson, and I'm glad you wear the mask. Bye.